Hello and welcome to the Bare Naked Chat podcast, hosted by myself, Natalia Comis. And me, Ash Moon. This podcast is about what it is to be a woman in the world that we live in today. Womanhood and everything that comes with that, from periods, sex, body image, to gender pay gap, or simply being the underrepresented 50%. We're here to normalise subjects that don't often get spoken about. Women being women, talking for those of us who associate with the fabulous female gender. Fran Lookcraft is the founder and CEO of Grace and Green, a premium, organic, biodegradable period brand that launched in January 2019. With a background in international development and a career that spanned a decade working in the water and sanitation sector, she first became aware of the environmental impacts of periods and the poverty related to them when working on water infrastructure projects in developing countries. From design to delivery, Grace and Green make a commitment to take responsibility for women's health and the environment as well as social impact causes. So welcome, Fran. Super glad to have you here. Oh, lovely to have you. (laughs) Thanks for having me, both of you. Yeah, well, just for the benefit of our listeners, Fran is actually incredibly um, pregnant right now (laughs) with your second baby. That's right, Fran. Yeah, it could be a podcast where I spontaneously go into labour at any point. I'll try try and cross my legs. (laughs) I feel like we should welcome you both onto the podcast right now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> welcome Fran and babe <laughs> my lungs are like literally the size of uh, peas right now so I might be a bit breathy oh gosh okay well <laughs> absolutely fine by us and um thank you even more for being on the podcast with us um at this moment in time and let's hope yeah. fingers crossed that um we keep you on the podcast <laughs> until until it's <laughs> ended <laughs> Although that's quite exciting, isn't it? Also, I'm all there for a bit of heavy breathing. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, Fran, do you want to just tell us a little bit about you um, and kind of where where this all began? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, um, well, we we've really only just launched the business in January. Yeah, we've actually been working sort of behind the scenes for about three or four years on the brand itself. So. It's been very much a labour of love and um, yeah, it's, it's just so surreal kind of getting it out there now. Um, but yeah, my background's actually, as you mentioned, in um, sort of water and sanitation. I worked mainly for NGOs in the non-profit sector most of my career. So it's been quite um, an interesting shift, I would say, sort of morphing into the business world. Mm. Um, and actually, you know, making money as opposed to giving it away, which I think was the biggest hurdle that I was trying to get my head around. Yes, interesting. Yeah. And that whole money mindset thing that everybody talks about. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially when you're doing something that makes an impact still, but you actually need the money to do that. Yeah. I mean, we, we actually started the company as a social enterprise initially. Um, and I mean, that was really the driving force behind, you know, starting a brand that was either, well, both sustainable, good for women's health, but also we had a huge, big impact cause associated with it. But then that slowly changed to actually sort of creating a, a sort of for-profit business where we'd then give a percentage of our profit away, creating a foundation, really, um, where we could actually make more tangible change, I think. 
Um, so yeah, it's it's obviously early days and things are going incredibly well. The products are being really well received. Um, we're stocking with some amazing companies and you know, our online subscription is really taking off. So oh, yeah, it's really amazing. exciting time. Yeah. It's amazing. I just want to add in there that I actually have some of your products right here, which you beautifully sent to us. And they are, oh, they're so gorgeous in themselves, like the colours. And I know that you should yeah. have this cover, but I just love the packaging as well as the actual products. Oh, thank <laughs> you. Me too. Do you know what, though? It's really funny because I think I said this to you, Fran. Um, well, first of all, I have, I actually have them on this, so weird, on display in my bathroom. <laughs> which is hilarious um but I'm actually really proud of them I'm like look at these pretty tampons yeah exactly they're so pretty <laughs> my mum was reading at the was reading all of the like background on them the other day because I'm staying at hers at the moment and she started telling me whilst I was this is total overshare for everyone by the way whilst I was on the loo <laughs> trying to sort myself out with the products and she was calling through the door you know the packaging is biodegradable so we can put them in the compost <laughs> make sure you put them in the garden compost and not the kitchen compost and I... <laughs> oh that's so cute that's hilarious so yeah I mean that was one of the biggest things as well is that you know when when we were sort of launching a lot of the obviously the product development side of things took up a huge amount of time and finding the right manufacturer etc but you know there's so many brands at the time where it, it was sort of really quite ugly packaging and I just thought well, why why is it that way you know that these are products that essentially women carry around all the time in their handbags or they're in their you know bathroom so it's quite a powerful sort of pro packaging product in that way and um, we worked with a team of um, designers actually who were incidentally all male mm -hmm. who found it quite daunting at the beginning but really got into <laughs> it and it is very sort of it's quite masculine packaging actually it's quite utilitarian and it's quite mm. sort of sleek and minimalist and and I didn't want anything that had lots of bells or whistles on and I just wanted it to really be functional so you know the, the actual boxes actually close as opposed to lots of other brands that yeah you know yeah. their packaging tends to fly around and you end up with a bag of tampons um, it does and they, you feel like you're kind of carrying around nappies for yourself which isn't very empowering for a woman is it no and it's it, it and it always you know inevitably pops out at the wrong time you know when you're at a train station or something like that when you're trying to get out your wallet or yeah. um so yeah there was there was lots of sort of looking back I suppose lots of work in terms of you know thinking things through and sort of spending time working with sort of um paper engineers and things like that um but yeah we've we're, we're really sort of happy with what we've got and of course it's not perfect but you know it's a good starting point I think mm. did you feel like you had to educate a lot of the guys who were working on it with with all of those things like you know we don't want to have to go into our bags and like pull out a tampon instead of a pen and etc cetera, etc cetera. I think you know it's interesting we did lots of focus group work it, education has been one of the biggest things that has been a massive outlaw for me and I think even myself, I've been educating myself about every element, really, that things are surprising about just the products themselves, actually. Um, mm. So, yeah, from the design perspective, that's been interesting. But it's actually educating women about the, you know, how things are made or what conventional products are typically made of. Yeah. Um, and so, like, obviously... We we produce something that's biodegradable and compostable, um, but you know it's it's educating women about what other conventional products are out there and how they're made and what differentiates us with them, and I think that's been 
that's been the biggest sort of eye opener really so we obviously use like we're, we're organic we use certified 100% certified organic cotton um you know we we manufacture responsibly we use renewable energy wherever we can um we're mm. vegan we're cruelty free and yeah we're incredibly pure so we don't contain any of the nasty sort of toxins and dioxins and rainons like synesthetic materials that other conventional products use so yeah there's there's just been a lot of like educational sort of awareness raising i suppose throughout every element yeah it's interesting so i've um I actually had my second period recently in the space of like seven years um, after coming off the pill and mm. um, and I used your products um, and I have to say it was really uh, what's the right word it just felt a lot I felt a lot more confident and um, I just felt better about the fact that I was putting something inside of me that wasn't you know full of chemicals um, yeah. which is kind of one of the main reasons why I stopped taking the pill mm. um and so it, it felt really good that I was continuing that um and and actually using products that were you know both ethical which is really important to me and also um yeah not not full of different toxins and all that kind of stuff that you've just mentioned mm. um so that that did feel yeah I, I really appreciated that actually and it's true that a lot of people well I don't think I have even really thought about that before you know like especially when you first get your period you're not told about any of these things you just use the things that you're given and you continue just using similar things and you just go to the shops and buy whatever is there and probably just buy the cheaper option or the one that you like or you know I remember hearing stories of um women who had been using those sanitary towers with the fragrances and some some women like really really um had like allergic reactions almost to them mm. it was that that was the first time that I thought hmm interesting maybe I shouldn't be buying any of these things with you know flower scents because that's not really what it is yeah um that is a real shocker I think is that most people don't know that there is actually no government regulation on them they're not actually classified as health devices um mm. and I think that you know there's a lot of there are a lot of big sort of multinational companies you know over the years have been sort of marketing various different products to women um you know like fragrances and things like that were never really around in my day or like vaginal washes or even like vaginal deodorants and you know this is i think the saddest thing is that these companies are um you know pushing these sort of products mainly at teenagers you know here's another problem to worry about by the way you smell on your period yeah and it's really not a, a thing that you need to, to a vaginal deodorant that's a so awful deodorant. and that's such a thing for like the male well i was gonna say the male gaze but like the male nostril but <laughs> the male yeah. nostril as a general thing is another thing to make you feel like you're dirty or Exactly. And you need to clean yourself for somebody else, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it makes me so cross because I think that, you know, you know, you know how vulnerable we all are at teenage, you know, during our teenage years. Right. And yeah. just having that additional, you know, it's just another thing that, you know, these young girls are feeling like they should purchase or that they have to purchase perhaps. And and actually there's no need, you know, your your that area is 
it is you know it's got a natural ph and you know you're upsetting it really with like interfering it with all these like like artificial fragrances and things like that mm. but yeah it's just it the whole industry has been is really sort of I don't know it's quite bureaucratic I suppose and there's you know obviously the environmental side as well which you know was really the starting point of why I got into feminine hygiene really um which you know is is hugely problematic right now and I know that like in the public domain right now climate change and you know the the use of single-use plastics is is very much on the rise and it's very much you know something that the public want to change so yeah, we just hope that, you know, in, instead of using plastic, we use renewable, biodegradable, cost, compostable materials like organic cotton and bioplastics, which is essentially made from plant starches. Mm. And so we feel that, you know, our products obviously just as effective, but then women don't have that sort of guilt about, um, you know, leaving behind like plastic that's going to be sort of left in landfills for, you know, 800 years time. Um, so that was really the core mission behind behind the, the brand. That's so big and so comforting. Yes, and that guilt is actually something that's super important right now, isn't it? Because um, I can't remember what it's called, and I think we might you might have mentioned it actually in our first conversation um, about how there's a lot of people who are dealing with like eco, I don't know, like depression essentially eco. depression around what's yeah eco anxiety was that what it is eco anxiety yeah yeah you know guilt is a big part of that isn't it of, of feeling like whatever you do you're always going to do something bad that's going to cause something bad in the planet um and there's there's not you know we can only do our best in that regard and and try mm. to you know, buy ethical products and try to use less plastics. And, and I think there's this, this whole thing in the ethical scene, at least, where, and I think that is shifting now, but people were a little bit um, scared to, to try being a bit greener because they couldn't go all in. You can, they could only do one little bit at a time. Um, and I think that's the good thing about the whole thing with climate change because you can just you know you don't have to go all in you can just start somewhere yeah I know I think I mean eco-anxiety now um, is a kind of relatively new term but I think you know it's something that I definitely resonated with when I first heard it was kind of given a label and I was like oh my goodness that that is what I kind of had perhaps like five six years ago when I was working in the water sector and I, I mean, I had this incredible job where in my 20s, I was sort of traveling around the world and I was, um, you know, going to these amazing sort of conferences and it was all like very much leading edge sort of technology and sort of scientific papers, which were presented by academia. And I just remember this one, I think I was in Mexico City at the time and there was a two or three day climate change conference on, on sort of climate well water associated um, adaptation mitigation and it was literally the most depressing three days of my life where you know we were bombarded essentially by these incredible academics who were basically not sugarcoating anything and were really expressing in like sincere warning signs like from science about you know um 
I don't know, the, you know, risks of drought from flood to extreme heat, lack of water, which would then lead to things like water conflict, you know, with the Nile tributaries and various countries having to trade water. And, you know, it was, it was just a really stark reality that if we weren't going to change anything by 2030, these were going to be completely norm um, mm. in our world. And, you know, it would literally plunge millions of people into extreme poverty. And I just remember came, coming out of this, and I must have been about 29 at the time, and just having the time of my life thinking this, you know, I had the best career, just thinking, well, there's no point to this, you know, yeah. that, like, where do we go from here? Like, what can I do? Yeah. And I, and I remember popping to a supermarket, and this still happens to me now, where I almost get quite sort of stressed in a in a shopping environment where you're sort of hunting around for something like that isn't covered in plastic but I remember just walking into a supermarket and I think I was buying like a croissant or something and you know there was nothing to wrap it in that wasn't plastic you know so you what do you do you go to the till just holding a croissant like you're (laughs) you're literally forced into a situation in that way and this is where you know and the plastic is just one example of course but it's something that I think is is immediately obvious to lots of people that there is we've become so reliant on it and it is like most fabulous like material in lots of ways because you know it's durable it's you know you can make anything with it it's light it's cost effective but ultimately it's around for generations to come and use it once there was that article recently, wasn't there, about how probably every toothbrush that you've used in your whole life still exists. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's so bloody depressing as well. That would be yeah. the same with, like, tampons that have got the applicators, wouldn't it? Like, every applicator that you've used, if you're a woman that uses an applicator tampon, will probably yeah. still be hanging around somewhere, which is so sad and depressing. Oh, it's so sad. It- and I think that that's the thing that people are becoming sort of, we're, we're in this like very hyper stress society anyway. And the fact that now, you know, we're, we're sort of hearing about all of these things um, and how dire it actually is that this is where the, the kind of, the anxiety kind of seeps in. Like you really, it's also a lot of people sort of hiding from it because what can you do? Yeah. Um, yeah and so it is really difficult and that's partly why you know I, I decided to sort of leave the sector and try and do something myself because I found it I found it too depressing to put myself into that situation where you're just constantly you, you're kind of a small cog in a big wheel but ultimately the buck stops at policy level and so I felt like you know I just had to do something where I felt like I was making really small I'm making a small small difference but at least I feel like it's making some sort of tangible change you know anybody who buys one of our products I know that okay well at least that's one less you know sanitary pad that's going to be hanging about for 800 years or you know we we use compostable applicators that we're just bringing out um in in a couple of months you know at least that's not going to be one of the beach whistles as it's dubbed you know hanging about in one of the you know Cornwall's beautiful beaches so it just it just feels a little bit better it sits better with me um and it also makes it more of a norm doesn't it people see it more so it becomes more of a normal thing so even just people using it makes a an effect but then also mm. people seeing this as a normal seeing these products being mm. sold more and more helps us get into your brain wave doesn't it but actually this is like a really 
relevant and perfect option of how we should use our sanitary towels Mm. yeah and also just actually having that option like I was in um like literally when I was thinking about coming off the pill I was like right but I suppose you know get myself ready for this (laughs) and uh, (laughs) went into the shops here in Spain and I couldn't find any tampons it took me three shopping trips um to find tampons without applicators Mm -hmm um and in the end I was just like meh whatever and then of course we chatted to you and I was like freaking brilliant I'll just get like your stuff um uh but yeah it was really interesting because of course why would you even think oh I'll try and find something different if you don't know that something different exists for starters Um, I know and people just don't know I mean when you when you work in the sector and you see it up front, you know, I have the sexy job of walking around wastewater treatment plants and seeing these things being sieved up. So I Ooh, have my yes. eyes very exposed to it. <laughs> and, you know, it's shocking because it's, it's a catastrophic problem in infrastructure behind the scenes, you know, 800 tons of period products are flushed down the toilet and the sewages every week. And, and that in the, in this is just in the UK, that's 88 yeah. million pounds a year in taxpayers money, literally unblocking it. Wow. But then when you think about just the scale of it, I mean, there's like 2.5 million tampons, 1.4 billion pads, like literally just flushed away. And then you've got, you know, 8% of beach litter, I think is applicators, you know, it's, it's staggering. Um, and I think that, you know, it's, it's funny because I think that when, when you look at sustainability and producing something that is that sustainable, I think, you know, it has become a bit of a buzzword. Um, and I think especially in business now, you know, everybody's trying to be a bit more sustainable. But I think ultimately, to me, it means really essentially meeting the needs of the present, like today, but without compromising on future generations, you know, to meet their own needs. So that means you know, if I use a plastic applicator, it really shouldn't be hanging around for my grandchildren to pick up. Mm. It's not something they want to inherit. And I think we all have a responsibility of producing products now that ultimately, if you just use it once, then it should just disappear in the ground as it as it came. And, yeah. you know, there, there's nothing is perfect at the moment, but you have to do, you have to do, I think, what you can, you know, I don't, I don't want to pass on anything to my children or my grandchildren that they ultimately won't find useful. Yeah. And a plastic applicator that's been used is not one of them. (laughs) Um, It's a bit rank, really, isn't it, as well? Well, rank. Yeah, Yeah, have my applicator turn it into a doll. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Something that you just said um, about you know leaving uh, essentially really leaving a legacy in some ways for your children and and leaving you know what's actually going to be useful for them behind just reminded me about a conversation we had a couple of years ago about how um you you know prior to obviously having your first child you didn't necessarily feel particularly maternal um Mm. and that there were quite a few different reasons around this one of them I think being um you know the environmental can you just tell us a little bit about that and how that obviously that mindset has shifted somewhat um maybe Mm. children 
Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, I've never, I've never been sort of, I've always, I've always had, I think, a desire in some ways to have a family. You know, I, I, I'm one of three. Um, we're really, really close. And, um, and it's something that I thought, you know, growing up, you know, I'd really miss out having that if I didn't, if I didn't sort of make that myself. However, I don't, I don't have this kind of very sort of maternal drawn to babies, I suppose. And, um, and the work that I was doing, you know, I was always traveling and I always imagined that I'd kind of morph more into like humanitarian response. So, you know, mm. I always <laughs> have this like romantic vision that I'd be working in Sudan somewhere on the front line or I don't know, like yeah. responding to disasters or just really exciting exciting but meaningful work and and that's always what I wanted to do however yeah obviously you know I met an amazing guy and I've and now <laughs> got you know married and I've got a child and I've got another one on the way and and it has been really tough but I I ultimately um yeah I obviously it's amazing and I think you know being a mother now I think you know, I have had I have had thoughts where I do really worry. Obviously, I'm worrying about you know the planet and what sort of state we're going to leave it in for for my daughter and and my children. But um, and it still does concern me. And I know lots of people, you know, they do really worry about it. You know, you read all these horrors. You're like, why would you why would you subject them to this? Because the future for them looks so bleak. And, and especially when you hear all these horror, horror stories again about, you know, young children now suffering from, um, you know, asthma and, you know, the air pollution levels in particularly places like London and even in Bristol, which is kind of almost, it's a really clean city in some ways, but it's also, it's kind of in a bowl. And so there's a lot of air pollution and you just think, you know, why are we here? Do we move out to the country? and um, I don't know. But yeah, there's a lot of layers to it, isn't there? There are, there are, and it is a, it's really, it is really difficult. Um, I think also like having children and also running a business has been really, really challenging. And there is absolutely no way I could do it without the support of James, like my mm. husband. And I've been really fortunate that he's you know he's not only incredibly supportive you know he takes he takes on all the childcare pretty much so he's he does all like full-time dad and um and you know I think that's that for me has been unbelievable really that he's allowed me to do that um that is amazing good feminist love yeah, yeah well, <laughs> we had a chat about this as well didn't we because actually I never forget having we went out for a drink and then I um went home and I was like so basically Chris like if we do want to have and Chris is basically going to be editing this so he's going to be listening in hi Chris <laughs> I remember being a little bit drunk and being like so you know the only way that um I'd be happy with us potentially having children was if we follow Fran's nice little example <laughs> <laughs> where she has her partner chip in and do things and he's the main one that's like changed his career etc etc and I remember being so inspired by how you did that I was like hmm, this maybe it is doable you know if we did this etc yeah I mean, um, it's, 
I think, yeah, he, I mean, James is actually, he's, he's really taken to, I mean, we're, we're very lucky. I mean, we're complete bicycles, but you know, our daughter, she's, she's really independent now. So, and she's great fun to be around. I think if we had, I mean, she's starting to, she's turning, she's turning two in a couple of months. So she's oh, going through this like whiny stage, which is like, it's, it's, it's challenging should be say but um no I do I really I do I do really feel that like I I know that um you know I I remember actually when you know I was thinking back actually just because I'm about to go into labor soon but when I was having her (laughs) I I remember yeah not today in half an hour (laughs) yeah (laughs) I'll try I'll try and hold on but um I was actually I was actually in full-blown labor and I was trying to measure something out um for to send off to a manufacturer and and James was just sat on the sofa just like uh oh and I was like no no I've just got to do this and you know managed to send it off and then like within a few hours I was at the hospital and then coming back a couple of days later I literally just went back to work and it was very much tag teaming you know experience where you know I was feeding and then James would take her and I would you know just crack on with the emails or whatever and it was actually really doable and I actually I think back now like could I be just a full-time mum I don't know if I could um and I think the way that we made it work was really nice because we had that time together as well Mm. and there's also you know there's that popular proverb um that acknowledges that I think it's it's like something like behind every successful man is a woman and you know whether you agree with that quote or not or you just consider it kind of a myth um I do think that in this case, like in my case, any success really has come from like having the support of James really. And that he's kind of, you know, taken on the childcare and allowed me to kind of go off and, and get the business up and running really. So Um, wonderful. But actually maybe just perhaps it should be beside every successful man. I don't, I don't know if it's yeah. like. Beside it's every behind. successful behind human. Behind sounds a bit wrong. Doesn't yeah. It? Yeah. <laughs> and beside every successful human, there is another wonderful human patting them on the yes, back and holding exactly. them. Exactly. Yeah. Side by side. Yeah. <laughs> Being wonderful side by side. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just give a little shout out to your hubby because he sounds brilliant. Yeah. Good old James. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, as a business owner, Fran, you don't necessarily have the luxury of maternity leave. Mm. Is is this something that is worrying you a bit, especially now with your with your second baby? Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, you know, I think it's funny since I suppose over the last three four years, I've really just got used to a different type of life um so you know my previous job it's well paid it's quite you know it was quite exciting sort of traveling around all the time so different to like my life right now and yeah like you know being self-employed you don't get the luxury of like maternity leave and um you know if I was probably in employment right now I'd be in a cafe you know cruising the internet for baby bonnets or something I don't know but it's yeah it is it is difficult I think um and childcare is so expensive um 
it really really is and you know I think we spend more well we will do with when the next one sort of hits nursery I think we'll be spending more on nursery fees than we will our mortgage <laughs> wow that is that is yeah that is something <laughs> yeah um so yeah it is it is it is quite tough but I mean, it's funny because, you know, you can, you, lots of people obviously talk about how hard it is, you know, with, with children and it is, it is difficult, but I suppose the other thing that I was most surprised at is actually how much I enjoyed it. Um, mm. And, and that was actually the biggest surprise to me, which sounds a bit crazy. Like when people, when I tell that to people, you know, I just, she like my daughter just amazes me like every day in in lots of ways and I just think oh like to miss out on this it would have been really sad um and I think you know ultimately having a baby is not for everybody and you know you have to be in the right circumstances um but yeah there's it is it's not tough and it is tough sorry and I um and I think that you know I don't know women always think that they can have it all I suppose or everybody wants to have it all and I don't think that's really possible so Mm. you just kind of have to get on with it and just treat life with a bit of sense of humor and just you know not worry too much really that's I think the loveliest advice yeah and refreshing as well and just not feel like you're I think a lot of women I know at least in Greece especially a lot of women feel like a failure if they aren't able to do everything Mm. and I, I think you know generally around around the world that's 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 a lot of the time the case um and and also you know you, like if you don't want to do everything you don't have to do everything like it doesn't really matter does it it's whatever's right for each person yeah prioritizing what feels right yeah, yeah. I mean it might have been that you know you had your first child and then you go do you know what I'm not doing the business anymore and that would have also been okay yeah some people just want to have one and, and they're happy with that or they find it really tough and it is tough or, you know, you could just not be maternal at all. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like I was and yeah, I had my feelings completely changed. And, and I think, you know, ultimately society, you shouldn't feel this, the pressure from society to, to, you know, that I know, I know have lots of friends, you know, who are, um you know approaching sort of like 40 I suppose who you know are thinking about having babies but they haven't met the right partner or you know and and that's really difficult you can see them going through a real kind of turmoil of like okay what do I do and I think the last thing you want to do is panic because you know it there is there is time but society says oh no you know it's like you know you're you're going to be a geriatric mum it's people actually do get labeled in the NHS it's awful isn't it and you're like I'm actually in my 30s (laughs) I know I mean I'm not I'm not a spring chicken and you know being in my having my second pregnancy and I'm sort of thinking oh maybe I would like a third but I'm going to be in that kind of band I think by the time that happens um, you are treated quite differently. Um, mm. Well, even um, doctors say so I've had friends who are, you know, in their like late thirties, early forties, having their first ch- child, um, even having, you know, quite negative feedback from doctors about it. Um, mm. You know, like, well, you, you know, you're you're quite old, and there'll be a lot of complications, and blah 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 blah, and 
I don't know how I feel about that really I mean obviously you also have to be realistic in some respects and make sure that you're you know physically fit but I feel like a lot of it is also you know if someone's telling you that you're likely going to be losing your child and um, all of these like your baby and you know all of this negative stuff that's kind of what's going to be in your mind all the time isn't it so it's going to be more likely that that's going to happen in some respect yeah. or at least just yeah. a very anxious pregnancy yeah exactly <laughs> well it's just I think it's just putting that undue pressure on women to you know feel like oh gosh I better I better crack on and maybe the yeah. time isn't right and I think you know <sighs> that timing is you can put things off or you know whatever but you, ultimately you just know when it's right mm. um and I just I just yeah I, I do see I, I do see it's sort of like this panic of like oh maybe we should freeze eggs and I just think you know you just yeah the loads of people are doing that at the moment actually yeah yeah and it you know it, if that's what you feel you want to do that's that's absolutely fine but you know I just hate that you know there's this I don't know pressure on women that you know there is a specific time to do it yeah. and there really isn't I mean I think the most important thing is that you found the right person to do it with if you want to do it with somebody um I don't know it's 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 difficult to know it's, I think as women we're like professionals at piling on the pressure aren't we on ourselves yeah True. And on each other. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not do that. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so um just going a little bit back to like business spiel, Fran. Um mm. what have there been any obstacles that you feel that you've come up against, um, perhaps even specifically because you're a woman in in the business field, in that world? um I mean I think that um I, I think things are really changing so you you go to you go to sort of a lot of like events now and I mean the world that obviously I'm in the business world mm. in feminine hygiene it's very it's there's a lot of females um I think I think that where where things where I feel that a lot of female entrepreneurs struggle is obviously the access to funding. Um, and I've never really, I've never really experienced that myself, but I can see that would be challenging. And, you know, I think women, women are quite sort of shy about going about getting money, I suppose. And ultimately you need money to make things work. Um, that is the biggest pressure I think to make or break really. I think things are definitely changing though because you know there's you know Alison Rose for example from um NetWest who's doing a huge amount of work around trying to get other banks um investing in women and I think there's a lot more um support now through specific kind of incubators but also you know there's a lot more investors who are women coming forward it's always been it's always been quite a male-dominated environment when you're pitching to male investors. In fact, yeah. I haven't ever, ever encountered a female investor yet. Mm -hmm. um, wow. Yeah. And that's been, you know, it's, I suppose that's just through, you know, just, just by chance, really. It's just always been male investors that I've, I've ever approached or pitched to. 
or who've actually come forward but there are very few and far between in comparison um and yeah that that's been quite interesting I mean I've had a really great investor seed investor and you know going for a second round recently that has been quite eye-opening in some regards there's some of the questions you get (laughs) quite interesting um I mean I think I encountered one that's the first question that I got asked was what does your husband do which you do that's so insane yeah how is that even relevant yeah well at the time you know you're kind of in autopilot so you just kind of answer it but it's only when you actually step away you just think actually that was a bit of a bizarre question to ask anyway stepped into the 40s well yeah and you know would if I was a male um like you know business owner would you ask you know what my wife does um so yeah there's been a few things like that that is sort of a bit eyebrow raising but generally on the whole I haven't encountered um any sexism really or any difference that I feel like my gender is actually holding me back in any way but I do see I do see it obviously where um I don't know if you're like for example I was at the NetWest Accelerator there's a really great businesses there um and you know a lot of the the business owners that are men are really super driven and sort of that quite determined to get that kind of big sort of investment um where I think women are a bit they're a bit sort of risk adverse perhaps mm, they do hold back. In that. yeah but that goes yeah. right across the board right in yeah. in terms of employment and in the workplace because women will only put themselves forward if they're sort of I don't know 95% sure that they can get the job um and and men you know if they think that they feel like they're relatively comp- competent they'll just go for it which, yeah, yeah. definitely yeah it's very interesting isn't it yeah it is and I think it is mindset I think that women just need to have a lot more self-belief and I think we all have it you know I think we all have that inner chimp in us that sort of talks down to us and say oh you know you can't do this well why do you think you should do that or um oh you won't make that happen and Mm. it's constantly just sort of brushing it away and saying no no you know I can do it why not and Um, but why do you think that is? I mean, do you think it's literally just the, you know, ge- like generational thing, like years and years and years um, and centuries of women being put down and being given specific roles, um, and it's still now quite hard to shift the, that it's sort of those limiting beliefs, let's say, um, mm. even if they're not really our own, um, or or is it? is it actually just the culture that we're in now or how we're brought back? I don't know, or a mixture of all of it, I guess. I think one leads into the other, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. I think that creates the culture that we're in. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think that, because you know, you know men obviously have that self-doubt too, mm. but I think they're probably better at brushing it away where I do feel that women, you know, perhaps sort of overanalyze it and they they probably believe it more I don't know Mm, I think it's really it's really difficult to know and I think it is getting better because you see so many incredibly empowering women now who are in positions of seniority but then of course you get the flip side where a lot of them get quite negative press or they get a negative 
um I don't know it's 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 image yeah well it's like it's like Theresa May I mean don't get me wrong I do not like Theresa May but the only two women who we've had as PMs in the UK have had insanely bad breasts yeah (laughs) And then there was all that stuff, wasn't there, about her for being unsensitive while she... Yeah. And then when she cried, everyone had a fit. Yeah. Yeah. Now she's just showing feminine emotion. Yeah. And even even people like Anna Seabury, who've been absolutely kind of persecuted, really, on... And Jess Phillips, as well, has been um, really, really sort of dogged on Twitter recently. And you just think, you know why why is that you know that it I know that I know a lot of the male MPs do but it's it does seem to be like these women in the spotlight who are outspoken how dare they you know that makes me just quite cross you know Mm I I don't understand um the bullying really behind it like you know why why should women just be outspoken like that and I think there is still these sort of pocket society that still feel that way that you know why should women be outspoken and have an opinion yeah it's like that bossy woman thing isn't it if you're outspoken and you're just like a bossy woman yeah but then also I don't know I have mixed opinions about this because I do feel like a lot of the and this is a massive generalization but a lot of the women who are at the top have got there by mimicking male personalities um and and bringing in a lot more of their masculine side than than maybe you know their like who they actually are um and therefore becoming somebody that they're not really and those and then they just continue down this line of becoming more and more um like the masculine like the people who have the masculine traits that we for some weird reason admire in leadership positions um Mm. and so they do become a little bit more outspoken and more aggressive and more whatever um rather than you know just just being the women and the people that they are and and you know there's two things about this why should they have to do that and become you know bring those masculine traits in to get to the top um and also like you're saying then be yeah but be bullied and accused of not doing the right thing when they do do that yeah i don't know it's such a mixed bag um but yeah i I do feel a little bit like maybe if if women didn't feel the need to do that so much and just actually were themselves that um we'd end up getting better leaders <laughs> to lead like a female rather than to carry on emanating the yeah exactly exactly yeah I think it's very I mean I do think it's really possible just to be yourself and you can you can do business and be nice mm. and and I, I think that's the the biggest lesson I learned, I think, was initially, I think, when I started out in, you know, morphing away from the non-for-profit and then going into business, I was like, well, I don't know anything. And I felt a bit of a charlatan, you know, I was like, what do I know about business? However, you know, it's, I, I basically had to gain assertiveness and confidence in it. I'm like, well, you know, nobody else knew about business. Everybody had to learn it somehow. And I think, 
you know, you slowly build that confidence. And ultimately, you you can only do, I think, or be successful if you are, you know, human and you show that sort of human side to yourself mm-hmm. and and admit mm-hmm. mistakes. And, you know, nobody likes, you know, passive aggressive leaders who, you know, choose not to um, show their vulnerability, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Or even listen <laughs> yeah I mean there's so many skill sets and I think that's the saddest thing is that women have a lot of these skill sets they make amazing leaders and Definitely. I think some of my heroines like I don't know like Emma Bridgewater for example mm. you know, the potter, she's a fabulous and you know she could teach so many men I think like how to do business yeah um how to be a great leader and inspiring and and you know injecting incredible working ethics um and she just talks so much common sense as well um and i think it's people like that that you know you should sort of be profiling there's so many like her um that yeah. don't probably get the recognition um yeah, they don't, don't get the media attention basically because they're not media worthy enough or that they're not as um I don't know just well I mean let's be honest the media love negativity don't they 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 love profiling negative things um or have done up until very recently so Mm. if if a woman's doing well and she's doing great things and she's nice not really that much of a topic of interest for the media unfortunately yeah and it's interesting when you look at sort of like what what's currently um, going on with like Philip Green, mm. um, for example, which, you know, it's on the other end of the spectrum, really, where you're looking at sort of sexual abuse and racial abuse allegations. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah. And, the, you know, it's just that it is, it's a powerful, it's a power trip, isn't it? I think. Yeah. Um, yeah and we love a scandalous news story, though, don't we, to tell someone down um so Fran would you label yourself a feminist which obviously has quite a lot of weight to it in some people's opinions just to use that word mm-hmm. and if so what does feminism mean to you a part part of me is saying this because um me and Natalia are talking a lot about the South Bank's Women of the World Festival this year and their theme was balance for better and we both really enjoyed this particular theme this year so it's mm-hmm. making us think about it a lot just the fact that it's balance for better might not necessarily mean that you're just pro women obviously you're pro everything pro Mm. inequality yeah I mean definitely um I'm it's it's something that um, I think most women are really passionate about and um you know my back my background being in international development I studied a lot of you know social policy and advocacy actually at university and that's one of the reasons I wanted to get into international development more because of just knowing about sort of or hearing about how extreme women's you know uh, abilities I suppose and potential is held back you know we're in developed countries are given so much more opportunity and still around the globe there's you know so many women who are sort of forced in a plight that is it is you know horrific um I don't know like it just even in the in the sanitation sector you know toilets are still being built without really considering women Mm, um and so you know that in itself ignoring that reality 
isn't going to improve things like you know what I'm interested in which is menstrual hygiene management and mm-hmm. and that basic right to dignity I mean that's just a fundamental human right and um I'm not even having toilets in many places still even yeah yeah I mean the the coping strategies of dealing with that on a daily basis of not having a toilet access to a toilet or you just have to share it with you know another all the men men, and you're on your period you know Mm. that to me you know it's there, but there's so many aspects that it, it goes it goes beyond just girls not going to school because of that because they feel embarrassed about it but you know women not being able to go to work and and that ultimately affects everything like you know the economic ability of a country if half the population at some point isn't going to work yeah. so it's fiercely it's fiercely impo- important I think and I I think when people say they're not a feminist I don't really know I just wonder, do they know what that means or don't, you know, I don't, I, I'm a bit sort of, they don't believe in women's rights. <laughs> like what, yeah. what is that? I don't know. I think it is that it comes down to education, doesn't it? And the fact that it's been a word that's been kind of slandered around and thrown around and thought of as like the angry, the angry, like ridiculous feminists. Yeah. And I was, I was sort of, I, I was watching uh, Channel 4 News the other day where, Dominic Rubb said you know he was he was saying about how he supports women and blah 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 um and then he was asked oh well so would you consider yourself a feminist he's like no I don't think so I wouldn't call myself a feminist and you're like uh okay okay um there was a comment that I saw recently I can't remember whose it was it was on Instagram um I can't remember who whose account it was but it was someone who was talking about feminism and they had done a post about it and then some random dude who commented underneath oh I complimented a feminist the other day and now I'm going to court about it and I just was like this is the issue like people just think it's this extreme thing of people being touchy rather than understanding that it's for everyone it's a basic human right for humanity I think that also it has um a quite a quite hippie connotation to it still like I think that some people think that feminists are still you know women who've got hairy armpits and you know just you know are very outspoken and I you know it's I don't know it's it it seems strange that's quite a big part of it isn't it like can you be a feminist and shave your armpits of course you can but that's also like a thing about it isn't it like if you're a feminist and you're gonna and and also it's that aggression isn't it like people think that feminists are really angry sort of like hostile women and and actually that's not the case either um I don't know. I think it's just been a really yeah. interesting. It's been a really interesting movement. I remember when the Me Too movement came out, and um, you know, it, I was talking to my mum actually. She was she was happened to be staying with us at the time, and she was saying that all these things that had happened to her, probably in the seventies, um, it just sort of started sort of bubbling up. And and you do you start reflecting on your own situations because all these stories were being shared around Twitter and and Instagram or whatever and and you're kind of like oh yeah like that's kind of happened to me you know just and not like you know extreme things but just you know just sexist comments or my mum my mum recalled a story about how she was um basically interning in an office 
so she was basically being chased around the desk by her boss who was trying to kiss her and this is like a madman yeah and (laughs) and she was sort of laughing about it but she said oh it's just one of those it was just one of those things but obviously now that people are talking about it you you look back and you think how's how did I find that acceptable that I just came in the following day and I didn't think too much of it because that's what happened um and again, you know, I had, you know, just talking to other girlfriends and we, we all shared experiences of just, you know, just times where it, that sort of behavior is just so inappropriate now, like you just wouldn't put up with it. And it does make you think like, you know, I've got, you know, a daughter who's, well, she's 20 months old, but I, you know, just the thought of anything happening to her in, in that way, you just think, no (laughs) yeah but I think it's that as well that you I don't know I feel like you always think oh I'd never put I'd never put up with that I'd always stand up for myself um I'd always complain or and then something happens and quite often even though you think that you don't do anything about it because in the moment it feels so trivial it's a little bit like what you were saying about the investors and asking inappropriate questions you know looking back you probably feel like you should have maybe said something at the time but you you didn't really think about it until later and I feel like that's so much the case that Mm. until we kind of are able to step out of the situation and review we're sort of going well what the hell you know like it just doesn't yeah you you two and two don't fit in that moment because you're so it's seen as so normal for everybody in, in the moment. Um, and of course there are times when other people do step in. And I think that is really, really important and really great when that does happen because it helps you detach yourself from the situation. Yeah. I do also feel though that I think that sort of stuff does come with age because I think that when you're younger, you don't really have the confidence to, to be outspoken I suppose um I mean just you know I definitely feel now that I'm a lot more outspoken and I I, I mean mm. I, there's times where you know I don't I don't hold any prisoners really when it comes to you know putting somebody back in their place if they yeah. step out of turn <laughs> because I feel like you know it's people need people sometimes are just ignorant and it's just they need to just be it needs to be pointed out so for example with this that 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 male investor I actually wrote them an email afterwards um and just said you know I don't think it's going to you know they wanted to meet up a second time I was just like I just don't think the chemistry is quite right and by the way I found some of your questions um a little inappropriate well done yeah um, yeah good and fun. it felt good <laughs> so yeah but and also you know next time round, maybe they'll think a little bit more carefully about the questions that they are well that's and why that's I was, great that's why yeah. I was sort of pointing it out really because I think that um yeah it's 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 a tough one really and also you know the other the other side as well is that you you kind of I also felt really uncomfortable sometimes going to meetings with baby and, uh, you know, breastfeeding and things like that. But I don't have a problem. Like, I wouldn't actually have a problem with that now at all. And I was very stubborn about the fact that I was just going to continue as normal. So um, I remember going to 
a meeting where you know James brought the baby along like when it was hungry and I just sort of like took it fed it and then gave it back and we just carried on with the meeting and you know there might have been some men in that meeting who might have felt slightly uncomfortable um but I think I don't know maybe maybe I am a bit different in that sense that I just sort of you know I didn't I don't you ultimately don't want to make people uncomfortable but at the same time there should be no reason that people should feel uncomfortable yeah you know and maybe next time they see a breastfeeding mother they'll feel less uncomfortable because they've already seen this I just think that should be the norm you know that that Mm -hmm. women should have that choice to do it and I don't I think that people don't do it I think there's lots of women who would like to go back to work early you know there's that probably in a work situation it's more difficult when you're sharing an office but I know some people who do do that they go in and you know their their boss is completely supportive of them bringing a child into the workplace you know if they've got a really important meeting and they just need to come nip in for two hours you know one will stay with the baby and you know allow that woman to do her meeting and then leave again and I think that has to be the the new way of working um mm. And I, and I, you know, I've done, I've had meetings where I've had some incredible women from actually the Export for Growth program where they came to the house when um, my daughter Hebe was probably about three weeks old. And we did a meeting where I was completely sleep deprived and they were very, very considerate. And, you know, and I sat at the table and I breastfed in front of them and it was amazing. You know, they were, it was really empowering. I was like, wow, I've just had an amazing morning. I've got some work done and my child's happy and now it's asleep and you know they they were they were just like well actually it's quite refreshing to you know they Mm. they wanted to do it because they never had the opportunity um when they had children so yeah I think more people should do it I really do and 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 not be shy about it really make it more the norm and then people will start to accept it more definitely because I think that is still the problem that we have as women is that there is that that sort of you're still held back by wanting if you were to have children you're still held back in the workplace perhaps you know um that you feel like you you missed out on that promotion or um you know you go back to work and maybe you want another one straight away like I did you know it's you know, and then you're taking more time out. So then you're not going to go for that promotion, perhaps, because you feel guilty about it. Yeah, well, most women, I can't remember the stat, but it's a significantly high amount. Um, Women generally don't put their hands up for promotion, even from as early as in their mid-20s, because they know or you know the ones that do want to have children know that they're going to want to have a child and that there's no point in going for the promotion because they're going to have a child at some point soon and it's like a it's a subconscious like ingrained thing that they don't even really know that they're doing Mm -hmm. um that's interesting isn't it yeah yeah that is interesting and also I had a friend who um she was she was a lawyer she was going for a job actually and she took off her wedding ring because she was at that age where they were probably questioned, she thought, oh, well, she's just got married. She's going to have one children. So. Mm, that's so thrilling. Um, I know. And another one who actually didn't disclose that they had a child. And so it was a bit of a joke that, you know, when she got to around 
you know, th- I think it was two or three. Again, it was it was going for a big job. Um, she was calling the baby the secret baby. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know I've got a secret baby. Uh, I wonder how long she's secret for. Um, I think that's so awful, though. Yeah, I mean, but it, it, you do worry that you think, oh well, um, a male a male counterpart would probably have an advantage because they probably wouldn't want you know part-time hours or you know to take one one day off which lots mm-hmm. of women want to do um you know it still means that you still work part-time you just work longer hours over four yeah. days um just yeah. to make it work and I think that's the biggest thing is that it's it's probably that guilt situation that I experience where you know if you're at work all the time and you feel guilty because you're not with them and then you know vice versa like when you're with them you're thinking oh god I've got so much work to do and and I'm playing puzzles for the third time you know um (laughs) it's it's really it is that I think that there's a lot of pressure on women in that regard you know to again it's just going back to sort of having it all I suppose it's not possible and you just have to give yourself a break really yeah um on that note if we there's a couple of questions that we like to ask all of our beautiful women um if we start rounding up the conversation which women in your life do you feel like have inspired you or raised you up in a way like do you feel like there's anyone in particular that you stand on their shoulders and this could be someone in your family or someone that you know or even someone that's inspired you from afar Mm. oh gosh um I I actually one person um I mean I've got a very inspiring mother she's she's always been incredibly passionate about the environment from day you know since I was little I've always been quite conscious she's she's a bit of a hippie really um so I've got her to thank a lot for um but yeah my my godmother actually um who I didn't know very well but was just in so inspiring so from afar she um she was basically an incredible jewelry designer and she actually used to make some amazing jewelry um using a new technique which was using sort of like metals and stuff and ended up making jewelry which um prince diana uh, princess diana used to wear wow um, and then she kind of morphed into sort of she she kind of traveled around the world and that's where I was really inspired because she used to send me letters and things when I was little from like India and Italy and she you know it was just incredible really beautifully illustrated um and then she became a yoga guru and recently unfortunately she died of cancer and I hadn't seen her in years and years and she didn't want to have any medical intervention whatsoever um and she died she wanted to go and die back out in India where she'd been living for about 10 years and to have her ashes scattered on the Ganges um and I hadn't I hadn't met her and I hadn't seen her in such a long time and she left me um like a small legacy of like five thousand pounds which at the time because I was sort of self-employed it was just a massive I was just about to give up working on Grace and Green and going wow. get a proper job and that small amount of money literally just bridged the gap which enabled me to to get investment really that's amazing oh that's so nice I literally feel like crying <laughs> <laughs> she was she was unbelievable and like in, in it, somebody she's her spirit like even not knowing her terribly well especially through my adult life is just so strong and I went to her funeral and it was just 
she was just the most amazing person she never had any children she never got any she never got married and she just lived the most like fulfilling like wonderful life and the things that she did and the people that she helped um yeah it was yeah so some yeah she for sure is oh my god I don't know how you're not crying right now I've literally got tears (laughs) falling down my face um that's super lovely so beautiful um yeah may we all be more like that yeah life's amazing I think that's the that's your takeaway is is people like that who um just really go for it and um and you know we live in as we were talking about sort of like such a kind of stressful um frenzied world that is sometimes seems so dire to live in based on what's going on it's actually sometimes you forget the good stuff I think and what you can do yeah definitely oh well thank you so much Brian do you want to just tell our listeners a little bit about how they can find you and and more about grace and where they can find grace and green yeah so we um you can you can buy our products online um we have a subscription um service so we can deliver your products directly to your door on a monthly or quarterly basis and we have discounts for that um you can sign up um for a 40 percent discount for your first order with code gng40 all the details are online and we're also in lots of retail stores now. So, um, yeah, we're sort of spreading, popping up all over the UK. So just keep your eyes peeled. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> go and buy the products. <laughs> they are wonderful. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Bare Naked Chats podcast. We love every single one of you. We will be back in a fortnight with our next installment of healthy oversharing, juicy chats and educational condos. You can rate, review and subscribe to Bare Naked Chats on iTunes. And please do, we will love you forever. This helps boost our rating and spread our love even further. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Chats, and you can email us at barenakedchats at gmail.com with any comments, thoughts or topics of interest you want us to delve into. Catch you later, cats. Adios.